Well, an Orthodox Jewish leader wants to shut down my debate next week with Rabbi Shmuley. I'll tell you why he's wrong. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to today's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you always, especially look forward to our Thursday broadcast. A lot of ground to cover, but phone lines are wide open. 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. Any Jewish-related, Hebrew-related, Messianic prophecy-related, Israel-related question, you've got Jewish-related questions Give me a call, 866-34-TRUTH. Now, I'm going to extend an invitation again, even though I've done it scores of times, and we virtually never get any takers, hardly, hardly ever. But for those of you who attack me daily online, who lie about me, who lie about Israel, who falsely accuse the Jewish people, who post every type of anti-Semitic trope imaginable— who misrepresent the Bible, who misrepresent Jesus, who mis- even, even misrepresent rabbinic writings, give me a call. you got free airtime for the whole world to hear your amazing position. Tell us why the Jews are so evil, why Israel is so evil, why I'm so evil. Tell, tell us why I'm not a real believer in Jesus, because I say I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. Go ahead and call. Phone lines are open for you. In, in fact, when it, whenever the rare, the rare, 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 rare times that someone's actually willing to call in and present their critical viewpoint for every 10,000 or 100,000 critical comments that get posted on our social media pages, you know, maybe we get one person willing to call. Um, phone lines are open for you, but for all the times I give out the invitations, almost nobody ever takes me up on it. Now, feel free to call. You don't have to be a critic. Phone lines are open for the non-critics as well. All right. This coming Thursday night, so one week from today, August 8th, I am doing a debate with my good friend, genuinely good friend, dear friend, Rabbi Shmuley Boteach, known as America's rabbi or rabbi to the stars or America's most famous rabbi. And he and I will be doing a debate in New York City We've probably done more than 20 debates thus far. We've done a number in New York City. We've done them in Phoenix and Pittsburgh and Boston. We've done them, I think it was Montreal in Canada. We've done them in London. We did it at Oxford University. We've done it on radio, TV. This is the first time, though, that the whole debate will focus on the subject, is the New Testament anti-Semitic? In and of itself, is it anti-Semitic? It's one thing to misuse it, to misquote it, but is it inherently anti-Semitic, the way it presents the Jews, or you are of your father the devil, or you're a synagogue of Satan, or are these accusations against all Jews? Is the is New Testament itself anti-Semitic? That's what he and I will be debating. Anyone in the greater New York City area, please join us. Details on our website. Well, This has been reported in various Jewish news outlets, Jewish Press, which is an Orthodox Jewish outlet, talking about the debate, speaking well of Rabbi Shmuley, obviously 
not of me or of Jesus. You'd expect that. But they talked about it. Jerusalem Post has an article talking about it. Well, I was sent a link earlier this week. An Orthodox Jewish writer I wasn't familiar with previous to this. Uh, his name, I may be mispronouncing, Moshe Mordechai Van Zweden. Not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name. But he came out with an op-ed in the Times of Israel. And it is entitled, Orthodox Rabbis Must En Masse Condemn This Dangerous Meeting Before It Happens. He's Not Speaking in Our Name. Again, by Moshe Mordechai Van Zweden. So, uh, Times of Israel has printed my response to Moshe Mordechai Van Zweden. I appreciate very much them doing it. It's titled, Why You Should Support My Upcoming Debate with Rabbi Shmuley Boteach. So credit to Times of Israel for letting me post my op-ed piece in response. But what I want to do is go through the points one by one that have been raised as to why this debate should not take place. I want you to hear them. We're going to go through them one at a time. So number one, he says, we have an old tradition to postpone any dispute with Gentiles for after the ninth of Av. Him, Rabbi Shmuley, volunteering to do this before there is such a break with tradition that his rabbinic title should be taken away. Uh, an alternative would be to declare him insane, but quickly. So obviously, this fellow writes with a bit of, of hype. I'm not a rabbi. I'm not a traditional Jew. So I can't comment on the rightness or wrongness of what Rabbi Shmuley is doing. But as an Orthodox Jew, I think he knows the calendar well. He knows tradition well. What's the ninth of Av? Tisha B'Av is the date on the Jewish calendar which coincides with many calamities in Jewish history. Jews, all non-baptized Jews being exiled from Spain in 1492. The destruction of both the first and second temples, 586 B.C. and 70 A.D. If that's not the exact date in which they were destroyed, it's close to it. This is the, a day of fasting and mourning, commemorating all these tragedies before in Jewish history. He's saying, look, you don't have a dispute with Gentiles before this. Well, hang on. I'm not a Gentile anyway. And this is not going to be some negative dispute. That's his first reason. Second reason is this. Uh, If he wins, the reaction will be that his opponent was weak. If Rabbi Shmuley wins, the reaction will be that his opponent was weak. Well, well, thankfully, both Rabbi Shmuley and I can, can represent our positions well. That's why we've done over 20 debates together. If he loses, quote, the Jews will have lost. He's not just seen as he's, he's not seen as just a Jew. He's seen as our representative, whether he wants it or not. Who is he to dare sullen our name? Well, well actually, sir, Rabbi Shmuley believes that if traditional Jews and Jews in general pull away from the marketplace of ideas, if they are afraid to have public exchanges, they've already lost. Number one, Rabbi Shmuley can handle himself just fine. Number two, if quote he loses. There's not going to be the perception that the Jews lost because I am there as a Jewish believer in Jesus. I am there as a Jew myself. And the question will be, what does the New Testament actually say? In reality, the goal of this ultimately is that both of us make clear that if you call yourself a true Christian, you cannot be an anti-Semite. If you want to be a real follower of Jesus, you cannot be an anti-Semite. I believe we will both agree in shouting that out. All right. His third point is this. Point number three, for me, Jews for Jesus form not a religion or are not Christians. 
From what I have seen of them, I'm not an expert, so my knowledge is sporadic. Their leaders often seem less than honest and insincere. Uh, true Christians are rather proud of their beliefs and seem more frank when they try to sell it. Jews for Jesus pretend for Jews that they do a sort of elevated Judaism. Heaven forbid. Uh, he goes on and says, Botaic's opponent, that's me, presents himself as an expert on Judaism, but by his own admission, never learned any of it. He exchanged hard drugs rather than Judaism for Jesus. So first thing is, Jews for Jesus, that's pretty plain, isn't it? Jews for Jesus. We are hated by many in the Jewish community because of our association with Jesus, Yeshua. We are hated because we boldly and loudly proclaim Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world. It's pretty self-evident. Some of us are part of Messianic congregations. Some of us are part of churches. But all of our basic fundamental beliefs are gospel beliefs, which is why we work with churches around the world and why I minister as a follower of Jesus in churches all around the world. But I didn't stop being Jewish when I put my faith in the Jewish Messiah. As to presenting myself as an expert on Judaism, I I don't. I have books, of course, where I interact with Talmud to explain what Jewish people believe as a serious student of Judaism. And what I present, I present accurately, but never claim to be an expert on Judaism or Talmud scholar or something like that. And exchanging hard drugs for Judaism. Thank you, sir, for posting my testimony, a link to my testimony. Let everyone hear the story. Here's the deal. Judaism didn't save me. The Jewish Messiah saved me. Okay, here's his next reason. Number four, even if they would lose, meaning our side, there's no such thing as bad publicity. They would win still. He gives them credibility by debating them. They need to debate. We don't. They won already by having a debate. Actually, we don't need the debate. People know about Jewish believers in Jesus all around the world. And I've had debates for years, and we have all kinds of platforms. We have massive TV shows and radio shows and things that, by God's grace, reach millions and millions of people. We, we don't need the debate. But if you talk about publicity, actually, sir, writing your blog draws more publicity to the debate, so you help get the message out, and it is a message against anti-Semitism. Okay, next reason that he has. Five, such a debate must annoy bona fide Christians for no reason at all. Classically, Christians believe in biblical literacy. They don't have the myriads of commentators that Jews have who can diffuse an explosive text. An eye for an eye seems to be talking about revenge, not so, say, and prove our sages. This means compensate people you've injured. So his point is, why, why annoy billions of people with this debate? Why get the Christians mad? Because if Rabbi Shmuley says the New Testament is itself anti-Semitic, it's going to get the Christians mad. Then you know what it's going to do for the Christians? You're going to say, Rabbi Shmuley, we love you. We love the Jews because of the New Testament. We, we, the more you speak, the more we love the Jewish people, the more it stirs our passion to show you that. by Because re- we literally believe the New Testament. That's why we stand with Israel. That's why we bless Israel. Because this is a book about the king of the Jews, born the king of the Jews, died the king of the Jews, Yeshua, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. That's the subject of the New Testament. As many a Christian has said to me, how can you be a Christian and be an anti-Semite at the same time? All right. Here's what he says. Next, number six. So the debate is a lose-lose for the Jews. If Boteach wins, he's angered billions of Christians. If he loses, he's made a fool of us. Hey, it would be great if there were billions of Christians. There are about two billion professing, so God knows how many are genuine. But it'd be great if there are billions. It'd be great if they all watched the debate. Slightly unlikely. But I say Rabbi Shmuley is not going to make a fool of anyone, nor will I. 
but there will be a united effort to oppose anti-Semitism, especially when it comes in Jesus' name. Number seven, large debates with Christians always resulted in us being massacred, no matter who won the debate. That happened in centuries past, tragically. I've been one of the number one figures in the church exposing the history of, quote, Christian anti-Semitism. But that's not the case. This dialogue and debate's been happening for years, and nobody's going to get massacred. And number eight, I wanted to say he deserves a lot of credit for the good he's done as a rabbi. Problem is, he's using this credit to do something foolish. We have no choice but to reject him as an outsider, a charlatan, and an arrogant amateur. So, Rabbi, with all due respect, shut up or get out. You know, the good news is that Rabbi Shmuley's got a lot bigger following than Moshe Mordechai van Zweden. I hope that Moshe Mordechai, sir, you'll tune in and watch. It's going to be a great debate. Every rabbi, every Christian, everybody should get behind it. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. That Hebrew music, Hoshiana. By the way, Hoshiana, scriptural word, please save, oh save. That becomes Hosanna, becomes a word of praise, interestingly. As in Hoshiana, oh, oh, save the king, then becomes a word of praise. It comes into Greek as Hosanna, into English as Hosanna, because there's not a shush sound in Greek. Just by the way, 866-348-7884. Michael Brown here. Any Jewish-related questions of any kind, by all means, give us a call. Hey, one quick note. A uh, little over an hour from now, Hour and 12 minutes, so 4.30 Eastern Standard. We're going to come back on YouTube, the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel, ASKDR Brown, and do an exclusive Q&A chat on YouTube. So if you're unable to call in or you just prefer not to call and would rather post a question, we're going to be taking all questions, not just Jewish-related, but all questions, comments of all different kinds at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard on our YouTube channel channel, Ask Dr. Brown. All right, before I go to the phones, again, I want to credit Times of Israel. We can just put up their homepage there, put the graphic up. Uh, Times of Israel immediately said yes to running my op-ed piece, and you see there it is, the front uh, page online, Times of Israel. I go there often. It's a, I highly recommend it as a conservative website, conservative political Website. So there you have the top op-ed pieces, and it's got mine there on top, and then right under that, Alan Dershowitz. So even though the vast majority of their readers, or let me say this, because I'm sure they have many Christian readers that appreciate Times of Israel, but uh, for sure many would not like a Jew for Jesus, a Messianic Jew, writing uh, an, an op-ed for them as a, as a Jewish believer. It might have been different if it was something on a neutral subject. Uh, but but I, I do very much appreciate the fact that they ran the op-ed immediately, uh, very warm and helpful to do it. So I, I appreciate that. I don't take it for granted. Uh, I don't know how often they've done something like that, but, but I do appreciate it and appreciate them willing to get both sides 
out. All right, let's go to the phones. We'll start in Charlotte, North Carolina. Gary, welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. And I have a question concerning the coming of the Messiah according to Jewish, Orthodox Jewish perspective. Let me give you a little background. We're doing a study, Bible study, in the book The Teacher and the Preacher. And you're probably familiar with it. I don't know. And the conversation played out as such where it was understood with the guys that uh, the Messiah had two advents. And I said, well, according to what I understand, there's just one, and that's the end of time when he'll come and uh, atone and go forward from there. So the conversation got pretty involved and pretty heavy. So I thought I'd ask you, from a Jewish standpoint, what is the understanding of the return of the Messiah? Of course, obviously, he was rejected at, in Gospel times, so just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Right, so an Orthodox Jew, of course, believes that the Messiah has not yet come. An Orthodox Jew is not Correct. looking for the return of the Messiah, but the coming of the Messiah. An Orthodox Jew does not believe Jesus was the Messiah. They, they may have varied views on, on who they believe he was, but there are lots of different Jewish traditions. Now, one is that in every generation there's a potential Messiah. In other words, there is a Jewish okay. leader with the soul of the Messiah or, or the, the capabilities of the Messiah, an extraordinary Jewish leader, and that this Jewish leader, if the generation will, will be worthy, in other words, if, if the generation of, of Jews will be observant, or observe the Sabbath a couple of straight weeks, or will turn to God in repentance, then that person will be revealed as the Messiah. So you have speculation in generations past. Could this person have been the Messiah, or that person have been the Messiah? Those kinds of things. But the bottom line is, a traditional Jew, every day, says says a prayer formulated by Moses Maimonides, part of a confession. Maimonides lived from 1135 to 1204 saying, I believe in perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, and even though we tarry, I'll wait for him every day expecting that he will come. So the coming will not be a coming in the clouds. The coming will be that someone among us will be revealed as the Messiah and will be revealed because he'll do various things. He'll rebuild the temple. He'll fight the wars of the Lord. He'll regather the exiles. He'll bring the Jewish people into obedience to, to, to God's commands, and then we'll know for sure that's the Messiah. Now, there is not a belief in two separate advents. Obviously, we can make that case biblically and show that it is Jesus, okay? Sure. <clears throat> but sure. many traditional Jews believe in two messianic figures, one the Messiah son of Joseph and the other Messiah son of David. And the understanding would be that the Messiah son of Joseph will come and fight for the children of Israel, but will ultimately die in battle, will suffer and die in battle. And then the Messiah son of David will finish the mission. There is one rabbinic scholar in the 9th-10th centuries, Rabbi Sa'aja Gaon, who said that if Israel is worthy, then they won't go through all the wars and the Messiah son of Joseph. It will just be the Messiah son of David. But many Jews believe in two messianic figures at the end of the age. And again, what we try to say is it's not two different messianic figures. It's one messianic figure with a first coming and a second coming. We try to open it up in, in that way. But a traditional Jew is, is waiting for the Messiah, <clears throat> excuse me, to be revealed uh, at, at the end of the age. 
I say when, when you say end of the age, that would be, I guess, the equivalent of a Revelation 19 era or something in the equivalent of when this tribulation process will start. And, yeah, uh, again, there's culminate. there's a lot a lot of speculation, sir, about what's going to happen in in the what's called the footsteps of the Messiah leading up okay. to the Messianic era. But but a lot of texts do speak of end-time upheaval, uh, all kinds of war, apostasy. So what a lot of Christians would talk about as, as a period of tribulation or what's like all hell breaks loose on earth, there are rabbinic traditions that paint a similar kind of picture, that it's going to get really, really bad, right, and, and literally okay. the footsteps of the Messiah right before uh, he comes on the scene. So it's, again, Judaism focuses more on how to live, application of Torah, and things like that. So there's a ton more in Judaism about, say, how to observe the Sabbath than exactly what's going to happen before the Messiah comes. The bigger issue is how should Jews live to usher in the Messianic era or be worthy of the coming of the Messiah or things like that. So it's not like, it's not as definitive. But look, even among Christians, there, there's a lot of speculation and, and there are a lot of differences about what's going to happen at the end of the age. But yes, in, in, in many Jewish traditions, sir, there is that aspect of all hell's going to break loose right before the Messianic era. Okay, and just so I understand you correctly, you're under the impression that this Messiah is going to come and lose in battle first? And then no, 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 that's, that's only... No, no, he's not going to return. If, if uh, okay, many traditional Jews are just looking for Messiah, son of David, period. And he's going to triumph. He's going to fight the wars of the Lord and triumph and win. But there are other traditional Jews who believe there will be two messianic figures all at the same time at the end of the age. The first one will rise up and fight the battles of the Lord. All right. He will rise up, fight the battles of the Lord, but then he'll be defeated in battle. That's Messiah, son of Joseph. And then Messiah, son of David, will raise him from the dead and finish the work. So there are many traditional Jews who believe in that scenario. But it's all at the same time, sir. It's not that first Messiah, son of Joseph, comes and dies, and then a long time after that, Messiah, son of David, comes. No, it's, it's all going to be basically at the same time, but just with two figures, uh, according to this belief. All right? Okay. Yeah, sure. Great. I appreciate that. That puts a lot of light on the subject. Thank you all very right. much for your time. You are very, very all welcome. Right. 866-34-TRUTH. Before I go back to the phone, so... There is a famous discussion in the Talmud in Tractate Sanhedrin, beginning at the the bottom of page 96b, and it continues for several Talmudic pages, these long pages, which are A, that's front side, B, the the back side. And in in the traditional Talmuds that have been studied through the centuries, they're all laid out the same way. So you quote by page number. Like in our Bibles, we quote chapter and verse because every edition can be different. You know, what's not the same page, right? But uh, Talmud for centuries was studied a certain way. So you have front page, back page, and they, they all start on page two because you're coming into a, an ongoing discussion. And, and by the way, if you haven't really learned it and studied it properly, you're going to misunderstand a lot of it. But a lot of the Talmud is just different opinions. One says this, one says that, one says this, one says that. And then you have to find out, okay, what's definitive or what's believed ultimately. 
But there's a contrast given between two texts, Daniel 7, which speaks of Messiah coming in the clouds of heaven, and Zechariah 9, so Daniel 7, 13, and 14, contrasted with Zechariah 9, 9, Messiah coming meek and lowly riding on a donkey. And there's a contrast. Well, which is going to be? And the answer is, well, if we're worthy, he'll come riding on the clouds. If we're unworthy, he'll come riding on a donkey. Ah, doesn't work. Those are both biblical prophecies. Both will happen. First, he came riding on a donkey. At the end, he will come riding on the clouds. One Messiah, but with two aspects of his mission. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Again, anywhere in the New York area, come see us next Thursday, August 8th. My debate with Rabbi Shmuley. Free admission is New Testament anti-Semitic. Right back with your calls and some political updates on the other side of the break. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to our thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. If you've got a Jewish-related question, 866-348-7884. Looking at a comment on the Times of Israel that posted my rebuttal to an Orthodox Jew who did not want me to debate Rabbi Shmuley next week. Well, did not want Rabbi Shmuley to debate me next week. A fellow named Zachary, Zachary said, You all know that Jews for Jesus are crackpots that the vast majority of Christians think are nuts, right? Actually, Zachary, I wonder what vast majority of Christians you're speaking for. Because Jews for Jesus works with churches all over America and all over the world, as do all the major Jewish outreach ministries and We are right part in the smack dab middle of the body. Jews following Jesus side by side with our Gentile brothers and sisters following Jesus. Maybe, Zachary, you're not quite speaking for the vast majority of Christians. Okay, one more thing before I go to the phones, then I want to give you an update with AOC and some of her recent Israel comments. You may have followed what happened with us, especially if you watch us on YouTube We got banned from live streaming on YouTube for one week. We got a strike against us from YouTube after putting out more than 1,800 videos without ever getting a strike. And three strikes and you're out for life on YouTube. That's their present policy. We were unable to upload the show, so our new shows each day for a week. And I appealed that immediately and said, you got the wrong guys. What happened was... We put out a video exposing the anti-Semitism and and misleading, hate-filled rhetoric of True News, an evangelical news station spewing anti-Semitic garbage. And we put out a video exposing them. And then the video got a a lot of attacks from supporters of True News and and real Jew haters. I mean, real ugly stuff. And somehow we got branded the bad guys. and, and, And the video was removed And we had previously had a video banned where I exposed the anti-Semitism of Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones. And in a mini book he writes is going after me, 26-page book where he references me 45 times. And very calmly just exposed the errors of that. That got banned. We got a warning for that. It's like, we exposed hate speech. 
We're the good guys here. We expose hate speech. We don't want someone else to get censored or banned, but we're just exposing their hate speech. They're the ones violating community guidelines. We're exposing it. So that's what happened with the Rick Rick Wiles video. And for all you, by the way, that post vile, hateful comments and and all the Talmud bashing comments, etc. And again, I'm not a Talmudic Jew. I reject Talmudic authority. But when it's lied about, I'll tell the truth. Anyway, for all you who post there day and night and accuse us, call me. Where's your courage to bring things into light? Where's the courage to have your Jew-hating views challenged or your conspiratorial theories challenged? And all you folks who believe all these ridiculous things about Noahide laws and Jews are going to be beheading Christians, call me. It's nonsense. I've tried to dialogue with folks about it in leadership that are, that are Christian leadership or, mess, or others making these claims, and they've not been willing to dialogue with me publicly. But call me. Bring out your charges. Let's put it on the table. <clears throat> Anyway, I appealed the, the strike. The appeal was immediately acknowledged, and we never got a response. So we got banned for the week and so on. And anyway, so we get back on broadcasting live daily, etc. Uh, and, and then I noticed the video that they had taken down is back up. The video is back up. And, and I thought, what in the world? It even got monetized, which means they said it's suitable for all advertisers. So I reached out to YouTube, and I said, what's going on? They said, yeah, the strike is removed. I said, no one ever got back to me. They said, there's no strike against this video. So I have no idea how they operate. I mean, that we've learned a while ago. That you can't, you know, I'll I'll answer you. There could be a video, Dr. Brown wishes you a nice day. Hey, have a nice day. That's a slight exaggeration here, but not much. Have a nice day. God bless you. Not suitable for all advertisers. Like, what? And then another one where I'm interacting with, with Pierce Morgan about homosexual issues, and that's fine for all advertisers. So who can figure it out? But anyway, we actually, yeah, uh, we might. We might just do, well, we'll tell you what. Here, watch. We'll record this today. And, and I, as a test, when the show's done, I'm going to record a short video that I wish everyone a nice day. The moment it is posted on our YouTube site, the instant, The instant it is posted, it will immediately be flagged. And and we'll take a screenshot to show you. All right? So, so guys, we will will do that. Matt and Kai, we will do that. I I know it's going to happen. And and we have to request a review. We will have to request a review. I'm serious. Okay. Anyway, the strike has been removed. And we're going to keep exposing Jew hatred, anti-Semitism, and lies. But we we put a special category now on the AskDrBrown.org website called uh, videos too hot for youtube so we'll just have a place for them if if youtube won't have them we'll have them and as long as we can use youtube to reach people we're going to do it 24 7 all right uh 866-34-TRUTH let's go to our friend michael in puerto rico always with good questions sir what's on your mind today yes dr brown i hope i hope everything's uh doing going good for you thank you uh, yes, sir. Um, I, I have a, a comment and a question. Uh, if you do a verse-by-verse comparison, let's say with the Brenton's LXX versus uh, any standard Bible based on the Masoretic, uh, you know, certain verses that refer to judgment, uh, you know, they have a, a positive uh, uh, redaction in the Masoretic text. And uh, I just wanted to comment that, you know, Christians reading the Masoretic text would probably lean more towards a dominion theology, you know, if they thought of themselves as as Israel, at least analogically, you know, that uh, 
that they're, they're the Israel of the church age. So, so they would lean towards a dominion theology if they read the Masoretic, but if they read the Alex X, uh, they would probably uh, lean towards uh, a remnant uh, theology. So I, I was wondering what your views were on that, and, and do you think that the, that the Alex X has some authoritative uh, readings uh, that, that could be used uh, in the Bible? All right. Uh, fascinating question, Michael. Let me say first, I have never looked at a comparison of the Septuagint, which you refer to as it's sometimes the, the LXX, because it's 70 uh, people uh, allegedly involved. So I've never examined the Septuagint from that standpoint in terms of its view of, of Israel or judgment or dominion. So I'm going to ask you a follow-up question on that in a moment. But first, the larger things, make sure our listeners are, are following. The, the Hebrew Scriptures, given in Hebrew originally, there are, there are a few passages in Aramaic. There, there are two words in Genesis 31, and in Aramaic there's, there's one verse, Jeremiah 10, 11, where the verse is in Aramaic. There are some sections in Ezra and Nehemiah in Aramaic, and then in the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 7, verse 28, is in Aramaic. The rest of it is in Hebrew. So we know as originally given, it was given in Hebrew and then a little bit in Aramaic. And we know the Septuagint is a later translation. In some cases, it's a thousand years after the words were given. In some cases, it's, it's 200 years after the words were given. So the Septuagint is a translation and therefore secondary. And, and the Brenton, what you mentioned, that's an English translation of the Septuagint from last century. There are some more modern translations as well, but Brenton is, is, is still a... a respected translation of the Septuagint. So this is Greek-speaking Jewish scholars translating the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Does it have authority? Well, the early church, the Greek-speaking early church, used it as their Bible. So that's what they became familiar with. However, it read in the Septuagint, that's how they read the Old Testament. So obviously it's carried great weight in church history. Here's, though, where it can actually have authority. The Masoretic textual tradition has been accurately and carefully preserved, but it is not perfectly preserved. Thankfully, we have many, many, many other manuscripts. So we have manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls that are over 2,000 years old, written in Hebrew, the other languages as well, but written in Hebrew. And then some of them have variants where the Masoretic textual tradition says one thing, and the Hebrew manuscript from the Dead Sea Scrolls says another thing. And in some of those cases, what's written there is in complete agreement with what the Septuagint says. In other words, the Septuagint preserves the more accurate understanding of the Hebrew there. One little example would be 1 Samuel chapter 2, that it mentions in the Masoretic tradition three bulls. But the Septuagint... And Dead Sea Scrolls read a three-year-old bull. And then you read on in the text, and it mentions sacrificing the bull, which is the three-year-old bull, as opposed to sacrificing the bulls. So, again, very, very minor differences like that. But, Michael, in some cases, the Septuagint does preserve the original best Hebrew reading, so in that sense, it's, it's an authoritative witness to that. All right, so, so it's of great value, and that's why all Bible translators will, will use it. And then sometimes when you're trying to understand an obscure word, what did it actually mean, 
we looked to see how the Septuagint understood it. But can you give me one prominent example where you feel there's a clear distinction in the subject you're discussing between the Hebrew and the Greek? Uh, yeah, I think a, a verse like Isaiah twenty-eight seventeen, uh, you know, among other verses, uh, uh, you can uh, look at that if you want. Isaiah twenty-eight seventeen, it talks about uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, judgment uh, versus uh, uh, pro- you know blessing and prosperity. So I, I was referring, making reference of that to to our our eschatology where some people, you know, believe in a dominion theology because they think everything is going to be good, whereas even historically, you know, uh, Israel came under judgment, and only a remnant were were saved, you know, at the first appearance. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so so Isaiah 28, 17, ah, the Kav, I see what happened here. I see what happened. Okay, so I, I I will set judgment or justice as as a as a measuring line a kav okay um but the septuagint translates it with elpida which is hope what happened is the the root uh, kof vav with a hey after that kava is is to wait tikva all right uh tikva is everyone knows that the the israeli national anthem is the hope from the same root so the, the, the Septuagint translators mistook kav, which is line, for something related to hope, which would be a similar root. So if that's a pattern there, that's very interesting. I, I'm not aware of that. I'll have to look at what some, some Septuagint scholars have to say. But is there a different eschatological or theological outlook that would come out of it in terms of judgment and hope? Fascinating question, Michael. I'm going to have to look into that. But thank you for asking. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Boy, how I love hearing my friend Paul Wilbur leading in worship. Okay, so one week from tonight, 7.30 p.m. in New York City at 2 West 64th Street. It's right near Central Park. 2 West 64th Street, 7.30 p.m. Admission is free. Bring your friends. Bring your Jewish friends who don't agree. Is the New Testament anti-Semitic? Again, that is 7.30 p.m., August 8th. 2 West 64th Street. Oh, let me just remind you again, the new book, Jezebel's War with America, comes out on Tuesday. Uh, We have never had this many pre-orders of any book I've ever written. There's a buzz. Something's going on. It it looks like we we hit a nerve here, all right? To to get over $50 of free material, including three free e-books, go to Jezebel'sWarWithAmerica.com. Take advantage of it now because this is going to go away once the book comes out. Tell all your friends, take advantage of this. We're giving stuff away. Take advantage of it. Jezebelswarwithamerica.com. There are instructions there for pre-ordering. All right, going to – I've got an interesting clip I want to play for you in a minute from 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But first, we go to Elizabeth in New York City. Welcome to the line of fire. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, my God. I, I can't believe it. Um, Here we are. It's, it's, um, it's, I wanted to ask your opinion of what you think is going on. And actually, the truth is right in front of me. Because um, you just you wrote a book, Jezebel's War with America. Jezebel was Ahab's wife. Yeah. And I know my Bible quite well. And I wanted your opinion on what you think is the rise of, because I'm experiencing, I'm a a child of Holocaust survivors. Mm. Okay? And I'm going to cry. And um, I was interested in Jesus a long, long time ago, but my parents said, don't ask about it. And somehow, towards the end of their life, they both asked me about it. What Mm. do you think Jesus was? And I was like, don't ask me about it. I don't want to know about it. And um, it hasn't been easy for me, and I see the rise of anti-Semitism exploding. And it hurts me on a very deep level, because unlike you, and you're a very humble, educated man, and I respect you very much, I have a very difficult time with what's going on, and I have a Jewish star on my left arm, a tattoo. And I can see the look on people's faces when they see it. Mm. And you wrote, I was actually fired from a company. And I have a fear in my head because I went to yeshiva. It was really, do you find a distinction between um, what's going on with the anti-Semitism and because these four women are unbelievably, they're filled with hate. Produced, it 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 petrifies me because I can't walk anywhere with this star. It's gone from the university to the streets. And do you believe? I mean, I know you are like a hardcore believer. Super. I have a. I love the figure of Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I am afraid, and I want you to help me with this. How do you what? Do you see as the rise of anti-Semitism first? What's happening all over again? Because it was never supposed to happen again. Mm-hmm. There was one Holocaust, yeah, and I'm seeing it happen again. Yeah, and uh, uh, um, I can't. Yeah, uh, think, uh, I don't uh, want to babble. No, no, uh, Elizabeth. What you're saying is very. There's a, there's a lot in your heart. There's a lot in your mind, and it's it's coming out in in a stream of consciousness that makes perfect sense to me. But Elizabeth, first, thank you for calling and, and thank you for for listening. Do you have my book, The Real Kosher Jesus? No. All right, I, I would love I'm to. Afraid. See, uh, you're afraid of. I'm. Um, can I say it? Can I tell you the truth? Yeah. I'm. Uh, if there was one person I would ever want to go back in time and ask. Uh, is him. Who mm-hmm. were you? Yeah. Because I was taught to fear my God, like be terrified. That's what yeah. the, I'm sorry, but that was my experience as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, fear of him, fear of this, like fear, fear. I was terrified. I'm afraid that believing in him in some way is idolatry and I'm going to mm-hmm. get punished. 
fully understood. And maybe I have it because I was instilled as a child and I can get rid of it. I don't know. I'm terrified. Well, Elizabeth, it's good to fear God. It, it, is, it is good to tremble at his word. Uh, the, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So you don't want to play games with God. At the same right. time, if God sent Jesus as the Messiah of Israel, we don't want to reject him. So what you need to do, Elizabeth, is say, God, I just want to please you. I just want to love you and please you. And if pleasing you means rejecting Jesus as, as idolatry, then I will do that. If pleasing you means embracing him as my Messiah and the one through whom you revealed yourself, I want to do that. But I want to tell you this, Elizabeth. What I've found as, as a believer in Jesus Yeshua from his 48 years now is he really takes away your fears. He really brings you into a place of just absolute harmony with God where you know your sins are forgiven and there's a sense of purpose and destiny and safety. There's a reason you're alive today. There's a reason we're talking on the phone. I don't know if there's any way that you could make it out to the debate next next week uh, to West 64th Street where Rabbi Shmuley and I talk. So I, I would love to meet you. But at the very least, when this, when this uh, phone call is over, if you could just stay on the line for a moment and Howard will just get whatever contact info you, you want to give me, whether it's a, a, a number where, where I or a friend or a female friend could, could talk with you privately, whether it's an address to send you the book. So please stay on the line right after. We won't, we won't give this information out to, to anyone else. And we would love to continue this, this conversation. Uh, all right. And, and I absolutely respect your, your upbringing and the reason that you feel the way that you do. Let me explain this, though. Anti-Semitism is going to be here in one form or another until Jesus the Messiah returns and stamps it out once and for all. And, and if you'll notice, if you'll notice, because we mentioned Jezebel and all of this, if you'll notice that the, the Democratic Party is radical on a number of issues. It is radical feminist. It is radical pro-abortion. It is radical pro-homosexuality. In, in other words, things that would be very much the spirit of Jezebel. You know, in the Bible, she was an idol worshiper. She was a murderer. She killed the prophets. She emasculated her husband, Ahab. She was like this radical militant feminist in the worst sense of the word. Uh, we know the baby-killing spirit went along with idolatry then, the war on gender, turning men into women, women into men. This is this spirit of Jezebel, this demonic thing, and that's why you see the same people on the far left who support these things are also anti-Semitic and spewing all kinds of vile things about Israel. It's, it's, it's all demonic, and it's, and it's coming together. But Elizabeth, let me ask you this personally, because we're, we're just about out of time and we can we'll find a way to continue the conversation. Um, how can I help you right here and now um, uh, over the phone? And we've just got about a minute before the show is out. Can I pray for you? What can I do to help right now as we're talking? Because obviously you're struggling and okay. you're you're in fear. You can pray if you want. I don't know. I'm. 
terrified so you can pray, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what All the right, right answer is. All right. Well, we, ha- we have... Not only do we have answers, we can point you to the one who is the answer himself. So, Elizabeth, right now, people don't, all they know is a name and a city, so they have no idea who you are. There are people all around the world right now, because this show goes out live around the world, that are going to be praying for you right now and when the show's over. So, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, the Messiah, I pray for Elizabeth that today would be the day of her salvation. Today would be the day where she encounters you. Today would be the day when her fears are taken away and when her life is flooded with peace. We know this world is hostile and angry and full of hate and destruction, but we know in you is peace and forgiveness and rest and assurance. God, it's not a coincidence that Elizabeth called today, work in her life. And when I meet her face to face, may she be beaming with joy that she's discovered the Messiah and found forgiveness of sins. God, I pray in Yeshua's name. Elizabeth, stay right there. Don't go anywhere. Howard is going to get your contact info. If it's just an address, I want to send you a book that will help you. And God will be pleased if you read it because you'll read it honestly and openly. If it's a phone number, I'd love to chat with you off the air and, and then just connect you with, with another Jewish woman in New York who would, who would love to interact with you. So stay right there, Howard. Get whatever info Elizabeth will give you. God bless you, friends. Let's pray for Elizabeth. Change the world. 